right now, we feel like he gives us the best chance to win. And that's what we're trying to do, win every game that we have uh, on our schedule starting this week with the Giants. Buccaneers offensive coordinator Todd Munkin, and we'll see if he's calling the plays again this Sunday against the New York Giants, talking about Ryan Fitzpatrick once again being the Bucs starter. We'll delve into the quarterbacks. We'll delve into who's calling plays and so much more in our PeterPirates.com podcast, A Few Extra Bucks. We appreciate you hopping on, really picking up steam since we launched this back in June, and uh, really excited about the uh, what we've built here at PeterPirates.com and a few extra bucks podcast. First, I'd like to thank our title sponsors, House of Brews and Lutes on the corner of Northdale Mabry and Van Dyke and Sea Dog Brewing Company to great locations, Treasure Island and Clearwater, Treasure Island on the beach. Great brews, great food, great service. Uh, I'm going to bring in our esteemed producer, Justin Thomas, and our Buccaneer insider and longtime beat writer, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Roy Cummings. And Roy, I was at Great American Teach-In today with my daughter, who's in eighth grade, okay? And I've done these teach-ins since she was in fourth grade. And I love taking the poll every year, and I say, you can only vote for one. Who's your team? Show of hands, Lightning, Rays, or Bucks? And I got to say, the Lightning always win, and it <laughs> alternates between who's last, the Rays or the Bucks. I did two classes today. And in two classes, the Bucks may have had four votes. Wow. Yeah. Man, oh, man, how the mighty have fallen, huh? Well, I mean, over this in, 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 these, in these kids' lifetime, though, the Lightning have been winners. And let's face it, the Bucks have been losers. You're right. And, and, and like I said, people are just over this team. They're fed up, man. It's, it's been 10 years of this, you know, five different coaches, the same results all the time. It's... It, it's just it, it's annoying. It's it's hard. I, look, I get it. It's hard to watch. You know, um, it's hard for you and I to go to go to the games and and cover them because it's you know. And and I, I look, I don't care who wins um, necessarily. Uh, you know, but I don't want to see bad football either. And just ultimately, that's what you end up seeing. You end up seeing bad football, and it's uh, it's just confounding. Again, I, I continue to use that word how it keeps happening to this team over and over again, no matter who the coach is, no matter who they bring in in free agency, no matter who they draft, no matter who the kicker is, it's the same thing over and over again. It is incredible. You would think that at some point along the line, one of these coaches or one of these you know, groups of free agents or one of these draft classes or one of these kickers uh, would change everything, and it just it, it hasn't happened. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing though because when you get older, yeah, you, you know, you see other generations, and it kind of it puts into perspective though. I mean, <laughs> a kid that was born around 2005 in Tampa has never seen a playoff victory. <laughs> <laughs> now, that, now that's putting it in perspective. Yes, <laughs> that's really. Yeah. Amazing. You know, we're going through. You know what you're talking about? I mean, I don't know how they define generations of fans, but. You're, you're working on a full generation of fans there. Yes, that's exactly my point. I mean, you know what? The Bucks need to think about that because conversely, the Rays have done a good job about actually making the playoffs, going over 500, and you know they don't do a good job of keeping players around. But at some point, you're going to really hit – the fan base is going to be hit hard if one generation you just completely whiff on them, and that's what's happening. Yeah, it's, it's hard to build a new fan base. And I think, you know what, uh, Mike, I think that's a big problem about why we see such a sparse showing of Bucks fans 
um, every Sunday. I mean, look, I don't know what the I could look them up, but and I'm sure they they put you know what fifty eight thousand or something like that down as the attendance numbers and all that stuff. We know better. It's more like you know forty five thousand at best, and yeah. and I mean that at best. Last week, I wouldn't have picked. I wouldn't have guessed any more than you know thirty eight to forty thousand fans in that building, and at least half of them were wearing the other team's uniform again, and that's not unusual, but. When the when the fan base goes from you know sixty five sixty eight thousand to thirty eight forty thousand and it's still the same thing, part of that is a lack of new fans you know being generated and the fan base is not growing it's dying it's dwindling and you know what and you saw it for sure as well there too uh, we saw it at uh, training camp where this year. You know, it didn't help that the Buccaneers decided during training camp to basically only have about five open practices. And then they took away the stands, made it more even more inconvenient for the fans to come and watch. Yeah. And things like that. And, um, you know, we saw, you know, instead of seeing that literally, you know, three, four thousand fans at a practice on a Saturday, we saw three or four hundred. And so it's, it's a it's a dwindling fan base. And uh it's something I think that the uh, the owners really have to think about. Uh, they've got to build this fan base back up, and I, I think it starts with um, it starts with public relations and community relations and fan relations, uh, because obviously, because that's something you can control. It's um, it, it's not uh, it's not an appealing uh, afternoon at the at the ballpark, uh, and and that's a bad thing. And they got to work on that. All right, let, let's cut to the chase. And before we cut to the chase, uh, Justin has just uh, put a bunch of sound in for us. And Justin, you know, watching Dirk Cutter's press conference, watching Ryan Fitzpatrick's, you know, uh, boy, this is, it's just not, it's, I mean, like Roy says, you know, we're not, you know, we're objective here. But boy, man, this is just monotonous stuff every week. It's really become that way. Yeah, it really feels like a team that's just trying to get through the rest of the year. If they can get a win, great, but uh, obviously their expectations are gone now with anything postseason. So. Let's talk about the quarterbacks because, you know, it, it's the storyline every week, Roy. Let's face it. It's the big story. I really think, and I've gone back and forth, and I know I don't, you know, <laughs> I'm not the Glaciers. I don't have to pay all the money. We've talked about the contract and whatever. I think you got to go Jameis Winston at this point. I, I just think you, you have him play the rest of the year. How do you feel? Yeah, I agree with you on that. Um, you know what you're going to get out of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Uh, you, you're still not completely sure what you're going to get out of Jameis Winston. You might have a pretty good idea, but I think he also deserves the opportunity at this point to prove that he's not the guy that uh, got benched, that, that the, he can play the kind of football that he played at the end of last year that we saw during training camp and preseason. I'd like to see that. The reason I think, and, and, and first of all, there's two, two things here. First of all, number one, uh, there's no question Dirk Cutter's job is on the line. He knows it. And I think the most disturbing thing about this, guys, is that Dirk Cutter knows his job is on the line and he's turning to Ryan Fitzpatrick to help him save it. That's, yeah. That, to me, is, is disturbing. It's disturbing for Jameis Winston. It's disturbing for Dirk Cutter. It's disturbing for the Buccaneers. And the other thing I think, and, and this maybe takes the edge off of that a little bit, I honestly think that maybe what's going on here, well, the reason that he's going for, with Ryan Fitzpatrick is because maybe he thought, you know what, 
out of the two quarterbacks I've got, let's let's say that they're the same guy, all right? Because you can make that argument that you know what I think it's what in four starts now in his last four starts, Ryan Fitzpatrick is winless, and I think he's got nine turnovers uh, in, in that in that span. So Jameis Winston had what five starts or whatever, and he had ten turnovers. So he's they're the same guy, okay? So if you think they're the same guy, and you decide to go with Ryan Fitzpatrick in this particular game. Uh, I've already said that I think part of that might be that they still haven't seen on the practice field what they want to see necessarily out of Jameis Winston. Uh, they want him to take another step forward and be a little bit more consistent, show a little bit better improvement in the mechanics and stuff. But maybe the other thing here is that Dirk Cutter's thinking, you know what, I really need to win a game. We need to turn this thing around whether I save my job or not. We, we need to win a game. You know who gives me the best chance to win a game? In New York, in crappy weather. You know who's got something to show those people? is Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick can go back to New York and feel comfortable in the building, no matter you know what the weather's like, be pissed off that I'm going to show you sons of guns. This is, you know, I could I could play at this for this team or I could play in this city uh, for the other team wearing green. Um, and I think maybe that's what he's thinking is, A, it's a comfort thing, uh, that here's a guy who's going to go back to New York, feel almost like it's a home game for him. And number two, he's got an edge about him that says, I want this game. I want this game in this giant stadium because I want to show everybody they made a mistake and let me go in the first place. Maybe that's part of part of what the, the, the deal is here. Yeah, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when Dirk Cutter and Jason Light talk about Jameis Winston because that's Jason Light's guy for so long, for so long. But obviously those two guys, their jobs are on the line. You mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick, though. When he was a New York Jet back in 2015, he had his best season as a pro, he had 31 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. But then the next year, typical Fitzmagic, he had 12 touchdowns, 17 interceptions, lost his job. Fitz talked this week, though, about the stadium, MetLife Stadium, and returning up there and the advantage that will be for him. Local knowledge helps. So if there is wind or anything like that, it's it's stuff that I've been in that stadium with and dealt with before. So... That's that's not gonna that's not gonna hurt to have played that many games in that stadium, but uh, it's a neat place to play. Um, you know, it was a great uh, two years of my life living there, meeting a lot of different people, a lot of great relationships. Just what you said, Roy. It, he has a comfort level there. I, I hadn't thought about your theory, and I think we both agree they need to get a look see at Winston, especially down the stretch. But uh, uh, Fitzpatrick seems to agree with you too. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that that has something to do with it, and it might just be you know, a dirt cutter trying to catch lightning in a bottle again, or thinking that you know, hey, I mean, you know, they they throw out that cliche all the time. This guy gives us the best chance to win. Um, in this case, there may be something to that. I mean, maybe he he really does in that environment give the Buccaneers the best chance to win. I, I don't have a problem with it if that's the call. Um, if, if and and maybe you know, and look if he if he you know plays and earns the spot to, to stay on board as the starter, great. Um, but it could be that he continues to play the way he has the last couple of weeks and, uh, you know, maybe end up seeing Jameis Winston at halftime or something. So we'll see. But, uh, yeah, it does kind of confirm my theory there a little bit. Well, another part of your theory that's very accurate as well, I mean, think of Jameis Winston the last time he played in cold weather, Cincinnati. That, that didn't work out well either. And you look at the schedule coming up, I mean um, – <laughs> 
you know, it, it's favorable in a lot of ways. I'm not sure how good Carolina is, but then you have San Francisco on the rise. And so if it struggles at, at all places in a place he's comfortable with, maybe it's more of a natural move. So I think that's a good point. All kinds of ups and downs for Ryan Fitzpatrick this year. And this is how he's approached it, just like he's approached really his whole career. Playing for as long as I have, I've had, you know, a lot of those moments on both sides. And uh, you just got to go to work and, and keep grinding and, um, a big thing, I think, in this league is people having confidence in you and you not losing confidence in yourself. And I've never lost confidence in myself. And it's it's nice to have, you know, the support of, you know, whether it be coach or linemen or receivers or whoever it is, uh, having that support from your team is always a good thing. Ryan Fitzpatrick, seven different stops in the NFL, 190 touchdowns, 145 interceptions, He's seen it all, Roy. You know, we've always liked his mindset, but I think you're onto something maybe with this uh, road trip here. But boy, if things don't go well up there, I can't imagine them not going to Winston after that. Yeah, it wouldn't make any sense to me. Um, you know, look, the, even if he's not your future, uh, if you've decided that, um, and I don't think they have, uh, I think you have to go to him because, again, I, at the end of the day, I think he's the best quarterback on the team, Jameis Winston. Um, and I think he needs the experience. You know, how many times has Dirk Cutter said, experience is the best teacher? Well, here's your opportunity to live by that, yeah. you know, that credo, and he's not doing it. So, um, yeah, still a little uh, curious. Um, I, I think I might be on, believe it or not, I think I actually might be on to something here with my theory on Fitzpatrick. But, yeah, if, if we see the same thing out uh, of Ryan Fitzpatrick, again, even for a half, and the game is close, uh, going into that second half, I'll be surprised if we don't start to see more James Winston. Well, the red zone was was definitely the dead zone for the Buccaneers against the Washington Redskins, and we're going to hear from Todd Munkin about that. He, he was he was pretty honest talking to the media this week. It stinks. I mean, it's execution. It wasn't anything about the plan, who's calling the plays. Uh, made way too much of that. We didn't execute well enough. That's – me, that's our staff, that's our players. We didn't execute well enough. That's what it comes down to. We had plenty of opportunities as we've had all year. That was just um, what came up on Sunday, and it's frustrating. You mentioned play calling. You know, we talked about this in our last podcast, Roy, but, you know, <sighs> we it's quarterbacks, it's the defense sucks, it's play calling. Uh, repeat, rinse, whatever with this <laughs> Buccaneer team. You know, I, I, does, it, does it matter? Does why did Dirk say it last week after the loss? Was he protecting Munkin? I mean, what do you read into all this stuff with the play calling? You know, I I, I still think that at the end of the day, I, I think Dirk Cutter decided that if I'm going down, I'm going down doing it my way. Uh, I'm, I'm going to earn my departure, in other words. If I'm going to go down, um, I'm going to be in control of my own demise. And not, it's not going to be somebody else. But I also believe what he said. And to me, it makes a lot of sense. And, and, you know, these are the, and look, with all due respect to the fans, um, you know, a lot of them are very knowledgeable, but you know, sometimes you got to listen to what the coach is saying and and just take it, uh, you know, at face value before you start, you know, being critical. I think there was a lot to what Dirk Cutter said about, I wanted to call the plays because number one, I wanted to be, I wanted to have a little bit more control over what we did you know, in terms of helping out the defense, you know, getting them off the, you know, giving them a little bit more time to rest, uh, things like that. 
you know, maybe Todd is more of a, a pass happy guy. And, and maybe, maybe one thing that Dirk has uh, discovered during his time with uh, Todd Monk and Colin plays is that he's a little bit too anxious to uh, quit on the running game, which has to be a part of things here. A little bit too anxious to, to, to lean on the passes and, uh, and maybe he just wanted a little bit more control and, like you said, to help out that defense a little bit. And you know what? As I said before, it worked. You know, uh, I said that in a previous podcast as well. If that was truly the case, well, guess what? It worked. So before we start, and, and look, I, look, I, I wrote immediately after the game. It's still up on pewterpirates.com. You can go back and look at my uh, my rapid reaction to uh, to the to the loss, 16 to 13, 16 to three loss to the Redskins. I said it right then and there. This is not about who called the plays. This is all about poor execution uh, of the plays that were called by the players on the field. No quarterback, or I'm sorry, no coach calls for interceptions in the red zone, calls for drop passes in the red zone, calls for a center to snap the ball past his quarterback's ear in the red zone. That stuff just isn't, that, that's not, it doesn't happen. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with the play designs on, on the plays where, where the mistakes were made. Uh, players were open. I don't think Ryan Fitzpatrick did a real good job of finding the best option on those plays, which is another reason why I'm a little surprised he's going to start this week. But um, it came down to, as Todd Munkin said, execution. End of story. Execution. And it, and the bottom line here, guys, I don't think it matters who calls the plays. I think Dirk Cutter is a very good play caller, and I think Todd Munkin has proven to be a pretty good play caller himself. I don't think it matters who calls the plays because – if the plays aren't, and we did this again, we did this with defense. If the plays are not executed properly, it doesn't matter who calls them. They're never going to look right. You know, here's my only question, I guess, when you talk about that, if, if it doesn't matter. And we've talked about Dirk Cutter being a great offensive coordinator, great guy calling plays, but maybe not a great head coach. The fact that Monkey can call plays, does that make Cutter a better head coach? Because that's one less thing he has to worry about. Um, you know, you would like to think that maybe that would be the case, but we haven't really seen it, have we? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah, we haven't seen it. Uh, look, I, I just and and I, I I feel bad saying this because I think Dirk Cutter's given it every shot he could. Um, I just don't think Dirk Cutter is a head coach. I think he spent look, he's he's fifty what fifty nine years old. He spent his entire career uh, concentrating almost solely on one thing: creating an offensive scheme running that offense on Sundays, calling the plays. Um, and, and now all of a sudden he's got all these other things he's got to worry about. He's got to worry about the defense. He's got to worry about, you know, whether, whether we try an onside kick here or whether we try a fake punt at our own 26-yard line. Um, these things take away from what you do really well. And I think as a head coach, I, don't, I just don't think he's a good head coach. I, I, I think He's a darn good and an excellent offensive coordinator and offensive play caller. But as a head coach, uh, I think he may have met his match. And and I think he knows that too. And I think that's part of the reason why we see him looking so down. I guess I should have phrased that in theory, you would think that would be one less thing, but he hasn't proven that it helps him at all. So maybe, I, I don't know. It's just this, this, as the bucks turn, the quarterbacks, the defense, the play calling, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's just every friggin' week. And then you had the red zone deal last week, which is another anomaly for this team. I'm still amazed that this is the number one offense in the NFL, the number one passing offense in the NFL, and yet they score three points when they have 500, over 500 yards. Here's Ryan Fitzpatrick on the red zone. Woes. It was a weird feeling after the game. 
you know, because there were so many things that were so good from the 20 to the 20, uh, you know, that we did and executed. Um, so it was it was a tough one to get over, but, you know, something you have to take a hard look at and try to learn from and, you know, why did it happen? And um, you move on, and this is a whole new week and a whole new defense that presents different challenges. You know, as excited as Ryan Fitzpatrick gets after throwing uh, deep balls and touchdowns, boy, press conferences, man, he is one cool cat. I feel like sometimes he should just come out smoking or something like that. I mean, that guy is just – you could ask him, uh, hey, Ryan, uh, you know, you're really a bad quarterback. Well, you know, some days I'm not that good and some days I'm pretty – I mean, the guy, he can't – he's unflappable, man. He is. Yeah, he really is. Uh, and, again, you know what? That's something that I think uh, Jameis Winston can learn from him is – how to just kind of, you know, dial it down a little bit here and there because every week things change. There's no, you know, look, you got every reason in the world to be happy and have some fun with it when you, when you win, as he did. But when you lose, um, you can't get too down on yourself. Uh, it, it's a tough league to win in. It's a tough league to score points in, um, as the Bucks found out. And usually you go back and you look and you say, my gosh, you know, because, again, these physical mistakes – uh, that were made last week that cost them all the you know the opportunities to score. Um, they're, they're all correctable. That's you know that to me that's the encouraging thing is, I mean you really don't expect Ryan Fitz. Well, I guess maybe you do to some degree, but you don't expect all the things that happened in the red zone of this team last week to happen in the red zone of this team every week. All right, we're going to start a new thing. We are objective, Roy and Justin. We are objective, but how about this? When you when you cover a team with the Buccos right now, three and six, they've lost three straight. They have one win basically in the last two months. How about a good news segment of a few extra bucks podcast? This is the good news portion of your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're going to start with Chris Godwin. You know, a week ago was Adam Humphreys leading the way with the receivers against Washington Redskins. It was Chris Godwin who had a big day in our good news segment. Here's Mr. Happy Dirk Cutter talking about how good Chris Godwin has been. Outstanding. I mean, uh, really, really good football player, uh, dependable, can play every position, does a lot of the dirty work, can make can make plays when he's asked to. You know, he he doesn't have to be our number one right now, but I think I think Chris Godman can be a number one receiver in this league. How about that, Roy? Yeah, I'm not surprised him saying that. Uh, I've been thinking for a while now watching him this season in particular. Uh, this kid's got number one ability. There's no doubt it. No, no doubt about it. It's why I think they could have traded Deshaun Jackson and not felt the uh, any ill effects from it. Should have. Yeah, I, I, I mean, he doesn't have that speed, but, but he's still, but he's got everything else. Yeah, and and, and he's pretty fast anyway. So, uh, yeah, the Bucks are just blessed with uh, an abundance of talent at the wide receiver position, and that's a good thing. And look, everybody, you know. This was a team. Remember back. This is what's so crazy about the Buccaneers. Remember back in the day when they couldn't score points when they were, when they were, they didn't have any weapons. Right. You know, and right. now you've got more weapons, and you know what to do with. They score points most of the time. You know, like they're coming out of their ears, and 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 the defense can't stop anybody, which is why it was just absolutely crazy that last week all of a sudden you know the the defense stopped somebody and they can't score points. But it wasn't because of Chris Godwin. Um, that kid can play, and you know what? Again. I, I think we've lost sight of some of the good things about this team. Uh, and again, this is one of the reasons why everybody's quick to fire Jason Light and Dirk Cutter. Don't forget, guys, 
this offense, which is one of the top two offenses in the NFL in yards, points, just overall production, Jason Light built that offense, and Dirk Cutter designed the attack and basically you know, has been calling the plays along with Todd Munkin. Uh, right now, this team is a, is a couple of tweaks away defensively primarily and a kicker from being the competitive team that we all thought they could be. And it's because of the talent that they've built on the offensive side of the ball. It's why, you know, it, it, I I guess I would be surprised if Dirk Cutter kept his job, but I could also see a justification for it because, well, look, what what more do you want out of an offense, which is what he does, you know? So if you could just get a, a coordinator, a defensive coordinator in there, who's got a scheme and again, again, you know, the Bucks aren't the only team in the NFL trying to figure things out defensively. That's happening all over the, the, the country. <laughs> Everywhere. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> it, you know, ES, uh, ESPN, Sports Illustrated has a futures uh, edition coming out. I believe it's this week. It's and one, of their articles, now, one of their articles is about the future of defense in, in football, that there's some, some real crazy schemes being developed where basically it's like positionless defense, where you've got guys who are built like safety slash linebackers, and you know they're putting more of those guys on the field and just basically bouncing them around to different spots uh, to take advantage of their athleticism. It's not your standard three four four three, you know, uh, scheme anymore. And, and it's sooner or later, as my guess is, the way things are going, it could catch fire. Um, the Bucks need something to catch fire on that side now, but again, yeah, Chris Godwin is at the the top of a list of a lot of, of several. I won't say a lot, but several good things about this football team that uh, people should be excited about. You can be excited about. All right. Well, Dirk Cutter, if you're listening, we have one more good news note before we get to three and out. I'm really excited about three and out. I think we have some good thought provoking questions this week, so you got to kind of lock in here, Roy and Justin. All right, kicking. You know, I always want to mispronounce the new kicker's name. It's Cairo Santos, but I want to call him Cairo because it's Cairo, Georgia. I used to cover their high school football team back in the day in Tallahassee, but uh, who cares about that? I just want to throw that out there. Cairo Santos apparently often kicking so far. Here's what Dirk Cutter had to say about his early workouts this week. He made all of his kicks yesterday, and then they uh, they went over to the stadium and kicked some. I think he. I think he kicked 35 field goals yesterday. It was something like 32 out of 35. And uh, so that's a good start. These kickers are driving Cutter crazy, aren't they, Roy? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they are. <laughs> um, they've been driving him crazy since he since he got here, man. No doubt about it. And, uh, you know, it's it's just – and, you know, hey, you know, that's great. He made all of his kicks yesterday, went over his stadium, kicked 32 out of 35. Great. Show me on Sunday. I'm I'm over it, man. Just show me on Sunday. And and again, a lot of people think you know they, they live in a vacuum. They think this is only a problem with the Buccaneers. Look around the NFL. Uh, there's kickers all over the you know all across the map struggling to make extra points and field goals. It, it something's happened to the kickers, and I I honestly think it's 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 a bit of a head situation. You know the the the, the whole thing about moving the 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 the, the extra point back. Yeah. playing with their heads. I, I honestly think that's it. There, to me, there's no other, you know, logical solution or conclusion to come to because it's kind of really been ever since that happened. You know, we've seen a lot of issues with kickers all across the league. No doubt about it. And, you know, the thing about 
Santos, he probably has the best resume of anybody they brought in since they got rid of Matt Bryant. It's almost like when you go to college and you have class with the same people. I love Santos explaining all these tryouts. Like he's played golf with Canton Zaro. You know, he runs, you run into these guys all the time. It's like the same five guys trying out for teams when a kicker starts struggling in the NFL. That'd be a great behind the scenes story. We'd never get the access, but it's amazing how you always have like the handful of veteran kickers every year. And they're all in airports together, probably hanging out, you know, with all these tryouts. It's amazing. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, it's it, it's it's a it's a fraternity all its own, and uh, you're right that you know they probably all spend a lot of time wishing each other luck as they bounce around from one uh, tryout to the next, and uh, you know hope that they're the one getting the call, the you know the, a week later or the day or the next day or which, whatever it is. All right. Well, we talk bucks as much as we can, and Bo, we tried to the good news segment. They're not they're not going to be long ones, but we're going to try to get them in every week. Hopefully there'll be more good news for the Bucs. I'm not not a homer here, but, uh, man, it gets monotonous talking about this football team. But, Justin, you know what time it is. You know, I always learn something about Roy Cummings and Justin Thomas in our three-and-out segment, three questions, and we're out of here uh, Kind of like these a little bit. I think we have a very good combination of Bucks, NFL, and of course pop culture at the end. Our first question in our three and out: Who has been better, Jason Light or Mark Dominic? And keep in mind, Roy, if the Bucks go three and four the rest of the year, which could very well happen, how about this? Jason Light and Mark Dominic will have the same record as general manager: twenty-eight and fifty-two. Wow. Um... First of all, it's an incredible stat. Uh, I guess it's not hard to believe. You know, I thought Mark Dominic was actually a pretty good general manager. Um, I think I, th- I think he had a good eye for talent, to be honest. Um, but I think I'm going to give the edge to Jason Light, and here's why. Um, Mark Dominic is the guy who picked up. These are some names that a lot. Of, well, well, look, he's the one who turned Demar Dotson from a college basketball player into a, a right tackle. Okay. He's the guy who thought Donald Penn could play in the NFL when a lot of other people didn't. Um, he's also the guy who, who let Matt Bryant go. Um, so yeah, that hurts you a little bit. I, I think Mark Dominic had made some pretty ballsy moves uh, as general manager of the Bucs. Um, and, and I think a lot of them were, you know, were, were pretty good moves. They obviously didn't work out. But I think Jason Light has done a little bit better job of actually finding – the diamonds in the rough, uh, the Adam Humphreys, for example, yeah. Uh, yeah. those kind of guys. I think he's he's picked up a few more of those uh, in a shorter time at this point, and I I, I like what he you know and I, look you know I, I think he made the right call on Jameis Winston, um, you know Mike Evans, etc. I, I like some of his draft picks. Some of them haven't worked. I didn't have a problem with Roberto Aguayo, a team that had struggled as this team had at the kicking kicking position. You went and drafted the best kicker uh, in college football history, um, four spots ahead of where you knew a team was going to take him if you didn't, and that's you know that's something that nobody wants to ever admit is that uh, they never would have got him in the third round. It just wasn't they never would have got him if they traded down in the second round unless they traded down two spots. So uh, another team was going to take Roberto Aguayo, and and they knew it. So um, I'm going to give Jason Light the edge here because. Uh, Right now he's got a he's got a number one offense on his hands and uh, 
he's the one who put that one together with uh, through through trades, drafts, and uh, and just picking guys up off the street. So I'll give it to Jason Light right now. All right, I love your perspective because you've covered this team for a long time. But against Jason Light, can't you can't you make this case for Mark Dominic that they didn't spend as much money when Mark Dominic was general manager, especially when Raheem was in there, and then you know. You could debate Winston. You can debate it because Mariota seems to be picking up steam and Mariota didn't get in trouble off the field. And to me, that's the GM and head coach, then Lovey Smith's job to really get to know these guys off the field. And that 2016 draft, the Vernon Hargraves, the Noah Spences, that's almost a lost draft, Roy. Really? Yeah, it's starting to look that way. Um, I don't know what's going on with Noah Spence. That's that's a mystery. Um, you know, why he can't get on the field when this defense is struggling the way it is, even to rush the passer. Uh, don't get it. The Aguayo move, that's not working out. Um, obviously, obviously didn't work out. Um, yeah, you're right. There's no question. But, um, you know, I, I for every one of those, there is, you know, there's a Chris, God, there's a Chris Godwin, for example. You know, and, and there's a and there's a Kendall Beckwith, and there's a, a Quan Alexander. Um, I, I just I just I think he's done a pretty good job overall. What do you think about the offensive lineman he drafted? Do you think they're elite? Do you think they're good picks? Over time, have they been exposed a little bit, Jason? Light? Well, I think Ali, I think Ali Marpet is a Pro Bowl bound player. I think he'd probably be a Pro Bowler now if he just stayed at right guard. Um, he's Pro Bowl caliber. Uh, Donovan Smith, I think is a, is a very serviceable, certain all, certainly he's a very durable, uh, left tackle, which is very important. Uh, number two, he's good enough that the Bucks, and this is, again, this is something the Bucks fans and, and even analysts, a lot of them tend to forget. Uh, Donovan Smith is left out on an Island on his own against the best athlete, you know, arguably the best, you know, the best pass rushers in the NFL every Sunday, all day long, because the Bucks consistently send five targets out in their passing game. And, you know, you've seen how, you know, they do the same pretty much with their, with their running backs. They play a lot of empty backfield and one, you know, one back, uh, you know, sets and things like that. And uh, that tight end is chipping at best uh, if he's not just flat going out. And so Donovan Smith is forced to do a lot of things on his own and uh, he's been sturdy and durable uh, he's not going to be 100%. No left tackle is. Um, and a lot of times uh, those pressures, sometimes, uh, you know, uh, quarterbacks can avoid those if, they're, if they've got that clock in their head. So I, I think actually he's done a pretty good job with the line. Look, nobody complained about picking up Ryan Jensen when they did it. Right. Uh, right. You know, he picked up Evan Smith many years back, and he's been very serviceable. Uh, he paid DeMar Dotson. Certainly aren't going to argue with that. So, uh, you know, I think he's done a pretty good job. I think Jason Light's best move, one of his best, was JPP. That was a great find in the offseason. And uh, we've talked about how great he was in training camp. That's definitely carried over. All right, Justin, I'm going to bring you in for the last two. Uh, our second question in our three and out. Brandon Marshall was signed by the Saints uh, this week. Des Bryant, obviously, that was a tragedy what happened with the Achilles. Or, uh, unbelievable chain of events in New Orleans last week. But remarkably, Brandon Marshall, it's his 13th year in the NFL, guys. He's never played in a playoff game before. I want to give you three names besides Brandon Marshall. Who would you say is the greatest player in NFL history to never have played in a playoff game? And I think my research is right on these guys. You have Joe Thomas of the Cleveland Browns, who will be a future Hall of Famer, offensive lineman. Archie Manning, 
Never played in a playoff game. Not a Hall of Famer, but, man, if he wasn't with those brutal Saints teams, it would have been interesting to see what kind of career he had. And how about Dick Butkus? Never played in a playoff game with the Chicago Ooh. Bears. How about that? Uh, I grew up watching Dick Butkus, and I will take Dick Butkus because <laughs> he was the best, man. He was as good a middle linebacker as there was. Uh, he and Ray Nitschke, that was like, man, oh, man, watching those two guys when the Packers would play the Bears back in the day. You're watching two of the greatest players in the history of the game for sure, and no matter the position. But uh, I'll take Dick, but- Dick Butkus because the guy, you know, again, it's it's just unfortunate. His career basically gone to waste in Chicago by a lot of bad players around him. Uh, that Those Chicago teams were horrific, and but he was special, man. He was absolutely great. He elevated that team uh, to a level that uh, didn't quite make him competitive, but uh, – he, he was worth the price of uh, price of the ticket. Justin, what do you got? I like Joe Thomas. I think he's probably one of the best to play at his position. He was with the same team his whole career. Um, like you said, he's definitely going to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, he also seems like a really great person, so it's just a shame he uh, never got to play in a playoff game. So. I'll give you another name I could have thrown in there, but I think we may have all picked this guy. Gail Sayers also didn't play in a playoff game. Oh, to me, yeah. he's like the, uh, he's like Ernie Banks. You know, Ernie Banks played for those dreadful Cubs teams for years. I, well, so I thought- there you go. Imagine that. You're, you're, you're in Chicago, and your, your Bears team has Dick Butkus on one side, yeah, and you've got Gail Sayers on the other. You, you think you're a playoff team, right? And that's, hey, that's back in the day when you know, there weren't a whole bunch of teams. So theoretically, maybe a little bit easier to get to the playoffs, even though you know they didn't have wild cards and stuff. But what the heck, huh? What the heck? Yeah, no kidding, man. That's brutal. Uh, the, <laughs> I, I remember when Reggie Bush was drafted in New Orleans. They said he'd be the next kind of Gale Sayers, and it didn't work out. Not that Reggie had a bad career, but uh, that guy was special, man. There was there was nobody really like him uh, that that's played in the NFL for a number of reasons. All right, we go pop culture in our third question, our three and out. And I thought this would be a short podcast, man, but we're, we're almost 40 minutes now. I appreciate you, you sticking around. And if you stuck around this long, this is often the most exciting part of the podcast, our pop culture part. I'm just throwing this out there, guys. In terms of comedies uh, recently, um, in, you know, the last, this century, I guess, and which is your favorite of these three? All right. Seinfeld, Curb Your Enthusiasm, or The Office? Wow. Man, that's a tough one. You like that? I didn't know how that would fly yeah. with you. And I always learn something about you, Roy. So I'm going to learn something about you with this one. Wow. Well, look, my feeling is that I think the greatest television sitcom of all time was uh, uh, top my in the top the Dick Van Dyke Show. Nice. Uh, Archie Bunker. Uh, oh, uh, I love that. You know, um, and. Uh, and I got it, boy. I'll tell you, man. Oh man, cheers, that's tough. Cheers, cheers was great. Cheers, cheers. I, I wasn't much of a cheers fan, but <laughs> I, it's that's a tough call. I, you know what? I guess I'll go with Seinfeld. I guess I'll go with Seinfeld. But man, oh man, if you pick, I can't argue with anybody that picks either of the other two. Justin, can I go with Frazier? <laughs> wow. See, I'm not picking Frazier. Oh, <laughs> those man. three. Oh, well, those cheers. three. As soon as Roy said he didn't like Cheers, I'm like, well, he's not going to like Frasier. <laughs> you know what that's like, Roy? That's like throwing out um, 
uh, Maze, Mantle, and Duke Snyder and going off the board. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, of the three you listed, Mike, I would definitely say Seinfeld. uh, That's probably the greatest show about nothing, followed close behind by Kirby Enthusiasm. But yeah. Uh, to me, Frasier is the best show. Well, I guess that's not this century, so I can't even use that as my answer. Well, Seinfeld was last century, too. That's true. Yeah. Um, so then, well, then I'll stick with Frasier. I think that's probably... Wow. Off the board style of, right there. Yeah, wow. one of my favorite comedies. TV comedies, that is. I, you know what? I, I got you, you know what? You, you, said, you, you said Duke Snyder, Willie Mays, or, or, or Mantle, and, and he picked Gil Hodges. How about that? <laughs> he picked uh I don't, I don't know i'm trying to think of jimmy fox but that was way before that so yeah yeah i don't know good you know what though? that's why we do podcasts yeah i gotta say this guys I, the 90s for me i did a lot of i anchored the 11 o'clock shows a lot so i didn't see a lot of seinfeld so it's not like in, ingrained in me i love curb your enthusiasm i think it's died off a little bit last year wasn't as good um but my daughter is old enough now where we watch The Office on Netflix. And I've realized that I didn't see a lot of The Office episodes. I love The Office. I'm going to pick The Office. I love everything about The Office. And the only thing I need to really see is I heard the British version is funnier. And I need to see some of that. You know, I've it, heard that too. And, and I, I've seen, I think I saw one British version. And, and I, didn't, I, I didn't think it was as good. But look, I've heard that argument too. The reason I didn't pick The Office was I thought, and, and I, I was a big Office fan. And, and I mean, and I don't watch a lot of TV sitcoms because I think most of them are pretty bad and stupid, but certainly watched all three of those on a regular basis. Um, The Office, I think at the end, it was carried by the, by the love story. Okay. Um, I love Bernard though. The Nard Dog was the best. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, you know, they kept introducing new characters, which kept it interesting um, but I'll tell you what, man, you will not be doing yourself a disservice in any way if you go out and get the, uh, the you know, the, the, the entire Seinfeld uh, collection, the library of Seinfeld, and just watch them. Because you know what? You're kind of lucky. Um, you, you didn't see them all. You know, I, I've seen them all three or four, five times or a dozen times. So when they come on, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this. And, you, you know, you wait for a moment where you know you're going to laugh and, and that's it. Same with The Office. Um and pretty much the same with Curb Your Enthusiasm. But for you, man, if it's all new to you, man, you got a special treat waiting for you. I'll, I'll take you up on that. To bring this whole podcast full circle, Eli Manning's favorite show was Seinfeld. And one of the famous stories in the Manning family was Eli Manning had a high school football game. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but it was probably an hour before kickoff. And Archie Manning told me this one time. I've heard him tell other people. I used to work with him doing preseason games. And Archie Manning was at home getting ready to go to the game. And, uh, and Eli calls. He goes, "Hey, Dad, I just want to make sure that you DVR uh, Seinfeld tonight." <laughs> Eli, not as locked in as uh, Big Brother Peyton. I don't Apparently think he's not. Apparently Peyton. not. Bucks yeah. have to hope he's not locked in too much on Sunday. That's right. Well, that's the perfect way to end our a few extra bucks and a Frasier reference as well from uh, Justin Thomas, our voice of reason. That was good stuff. That's one of our better podcasts. I love that from top to bottom. I'd like to thank our tile sponsors. House of Brews and Sea Dog Brewing Company. Great brews, great food, great service. Remember, check out our video preview every week on pewterpirates.com. Please subscribe. It's free. But this has been another rendition of A Few Extra Bucks for Justin Thomas and Roy Cummings. I am merely Mike Neighbors. Enjoy the game this weekend, Bucks fans. Mm-hmm.